episode of Bringing Design Closer. My name is Jerry Scullion and I'm a service designer and I'm the founder of This Is 8 CD and the CEO of ThisIsDoing.com where we provide live online design and innovation classes, providing training for people and organizations within the design and change making space. Now today in the show we have Belina Rafi, an incredible facilitator and founder of Sustainable Standup, a brilliant organization that works with organizations to use humor to approach complex topics. Now, Belina has a background in improvisation and stand-up, so it's probably no coincidence that it's a pretty free-flowing conversation. It's natural in its approach. Belina's a wonderful person. I hope you enjoy it. Let's get straight into it. Belina, great to have you in the show. Great How are you? Here. I'm good. I just ate banana bread. I made my first pandemic banana bread and I really? ate the last of it this morning. It was still moist and delicious. I see why 15 people... months later, you got your first banana <laughs> bread at the door. I'm a little slow. I wasn't an early adapter, adopter in, in this baking. I'm pretty sure I, I had my first banana bread done an hour after they announced it. I was like, right, nothing for it. Straight to the kitchen. Let's make banana bread. And nice. that was what we made for baby a couple of weeks. And I'm like, nah, I can't even look at it now. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been busy in the kitchen this morning, which is, or would you say yesterday you made it? I made it two days ago and it was still like, moist this morning so that was wow. very nice yeah so that's a good way to start your day off with a high sugar intake but Belina we've been chatting and you're an extended part of the this is doing family and Yay. you know we've got lots of mutual friends and stuff and maybe let's tell the listeners a little bit about how you describe yourself imagine in those previous days where you might go out to a bar and you're meeting new friends and they go Belina well, what do you do how would you describe and how would you answer that question I like the rule of three. <laughs> so I usually start with, let me tell you three things. One thing is I help people to improvise, to make the world better and, and collaboration. One is I like to help people explore the relationship between how we do organizations and how nature thrives. And then the third thing is I teach a loving form of stand-up comedy about social and environmental issues. So that's kind right. of the three, three circles that I dance around in. This conversation is going to be fun. It's kind of no no pressure now, but like when you mix comedy in with some of those topics, it's going to be a it's going to be a funny conversation. Yes. So, which one would you say you do most in terms of your work? Like, what's is, is the comedy the the bit that you do the most, or is it or talk, talk to us about what, how you describe your work? It's sort of it's a mix. Of, I, about six years ago, I started something called sustainable stand up, which is mm. really compassionate form of stand-up comedy about social and environmental issues. And I did it because I was working in the sustainability space with improv, because improv mindsets are really good for complex issues, for collaboration within organizations and across it. And so I was working with that, but I saw that a lot of the communication around sustainability is was either like dry data or like, you're killing everything, <laughs> like really angry. Yeah. And I'm sort of like, neither of those are working for me. We talk about John Stuart John Oliver and the power that just putting complex issues across with humor helps us to understand it, to remember it. So I wanted to give some of that power to people who are working with those issues for a few reasons. One is more powerful communication, but also like resilience for themselves. It gives them a chance to giggle once a week for six weeks, and then we do a show, and then we talk about after the course, like how can they bring that lightness that playfulness back into their work and lives hmm. sustainability so in the world of this is hcd we'd probably refer to that as life-centered design so the impacts of our design that it has on the earth and 
the whole ecosystem that is is on this planet. Is that fair to say? Is that kind of how you perceive the sustainability aspect or have I done it a dis- total disservice? <laughs> I think that, I think you did well. <laughs> there's, um, good effort, B+. Good effort. <laughs> um, it's so complex because a lot of the social stuff and the, the environmental stuff are just woven together, you know, like how we do economics, how what our economic system, what our social systems. Hmm. And I think it's, it, I think we're in an interesting space now with COVID, we were talking about the pandemic. Um, I think it's really revealed where there's a lack of dignity in the systems, Hmm. in healthcare, in affordable housing, in all of these different places. We knew it was kind of there, but it's really in our faces now. So I think for me, all of that is sustainability. Like I I did a a piratey playful learning adventure for adults. And we ran it in Tehran and Tokyo and all these different places. And it was called the Thrivable World Quest. And I was working with a lady named Michelle Holiday. And we wanted to get away from sustainability because it has a lot of baggage to it. It's mm-hmm. sustain. How do you keep what we have? But what we have is destroying the earth. So that's confusing. <laughs> that creates cognitive yeah. dissonance. And it's, it's how do we... So we wanted to look at what happens when we thrive. And yet, for whatever reason, when the project of sustainable stand-up sort of downloaded in my head that felt like the right space for it because I wanted to get people who care about this stuff to come from a loving space I love myself I love the audience the system's silly Mm -hmm. and I thought that that would give people who might not be tuning into sustainability and an in that was pleasant and really interesting and useful there's a lot to unpack there but I want to just back up a little bit more you mentioned about organizations and dignity how does that lack of awareness in terms of dignity manifest itself in the behaviors of organizations what what have you seen even i've been doing applied improv for a long time Mm -hmm. and a lot of times organizations will bring us in to do do a creativity thing and and we want our we want people to be more creative and so we want you to do an hour session on creativity and And here's your post-its and at the end, we're going to reward the one best idea, the one person with the one best idea. And, and I'd be like, so you want to bring collaboration in, but you're yeah. going to twist it and turn it into a competition dog eat dog. So, yeah. so part of it, bringing dignity is just alignment with values. So if you want collaboration, allow your systems to help people collaborate generously and not twist it at the end to, yeah. to be selfish. I'd be curious, you know, you do a lot of interactive stuff too. There's something Mm. about aligning the how with the what and trying to shift from values that we say, but we don't live by to what would it be like if we actually live by those values? Because often the values are designed to bring in dignity or at least sound like, you know, they must be the most, the best sustainable, most happy company to work with. But then you get in there and you realize there's so many places where they're not living by those. Yeah. And it's a very toxic it's a toxic place to to be around and it's it can be quite damaging for people who perceive themselves to be a creative individual or someone in that world because it, it doesn't there, there's a mismatch in terms of value sets but like i mean if you just look at what's happening at base camp i don't know if you know base camp the whole kind of story that's going over there where there is the ceo basically we, we wanted to uh kind of get rid of some things that he he perceived as being quite trivial and the backlash was very very quick from from the internet 
And it was more like around, hey, paternity leave, no more. We're not doing that anymore. If you want to have kids, your problem. Yeah. It was just kind of very, very quick where his whole world and the organization just didn't align with what the employees were doing. And they've since, I think they've gone back and they've changed. They're like, well, we, we're sorry. We, we didn't realize that everyone else didn't think those things were the same as us. Yeah. So it is interesting to hear the word dignity within an organizational cultural setting. So how does that play out though? So say in that scenario where you mentioned there within the workshop, was that a real world setting, by the way? Was that something that has actually happened? How did you get around that? Because you, and there's a few other people that we work with in terms of facilitators, Adam being one, are phenomenal improvisers and can bring comedy back in to disarm uh, those conversations. And it's something that I try to do as often as I possibly can, but sometimes I get stumped and I'm like, uh, that's a stupid idea. That's what you want, that's what you want to say, <laughs> but I'm sure you didn't do it that way. Walk us, w- w- walk us through how you got around that scenario. Bless me, I have a very small filter. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I kind of say I don't think that's going to work. Like I don't have the, I don't have the political mouse to kind of yeah. bite my tongue, especially anymore, because it's sort of like I don't want to do projects that I don't think are going to work by design. Yeah. By the client design. So, so I think it, at that point I was like, <laughs> what if we take that bit out, or or if we make it a playful competition? The other place that I've seen competitions work is if it's honestly playful, like you know, like mm. versus the something that engages the ego. But of course, anything that's like an hour long, you're not going to change a lifetime of no. a lifetime or a culture. So you can plant seeds. And there's a really lovely exercise that I learned from a lady named Sue Walden from the Applied Improv Network, which is finding value in people's ideas and then moving the story forward. It's a very, it's a master co-creation thing. It's mm. like, let's, you'd say, let's go to the beach, let's something. And then I would say, yes, what I like about your idea is, and without changing your idea, I find some aspect of value that I genuinely like. And then I move the story forward. And then you respond to how I move the story forward with, yes, what I like about your idea. And we could. So okay. stuff like that is useful and it's fractal. So so even if you're there to address the culture for better leadership or better service design or whatever it is, you're also helping their romantic relationships because if they bring it to that you know like it, you're yeah. also helping them with resilience if they have something unexpected that happens i had this silly thing where i, I was supposed to talk about improv and awareness at, at a conference in munich and all i had to do was get myself from the main station three stops on the u-bahn to where the conference was and I, rolling out of the second stop and some ladies like banging on the window outside yeah. trying to get my attention and I look up and nobody else is on the train and they must have announced in German oh. like everybody leave the train now and my train pulled into a tunnel and stopped oh no <laughs> and I just and the first thing I did was laugh because I'm like awareness queen right here <laughs> and, and and then I use that activity of like what I like about this situation is instead of your idea what I like about yeah. the situation is the underground in Germany has mobile phone reception. So I called the conference ah. organizers and I said, your public transportation has just kidnapped me into a tunnel. <laughs> and and that gave me the resilience to notice that the driver was walking past the train and I was like, help, help, help on the window. And then he told me, don't worry, it's going to pull back into the station. Ah. There's something about the improv of not, it, it stops people from being disconnected and in their head and it helps them focus on what's actually happening and unfolding. Yeah. 
So the disconnect between the internal dialogue yeah. that sometimes happens where you're like, oh my God, this is a really bad thing. Yes. And then yeah, fear, yeah. fear exactly. runs through the veins and then you get all these responses. Yeah. So I think helping people notice if there's big aspects of themselves that are kind of they're not aware of and they're leaking fear. Sometimes we can get into a mindset where if like, just keep going, just keep, you know, keep going with the action in a company. And there was, I read this great book called The, the Body Keeps the Score and it talks about trauma and the impact on the brain. Absolutely. And you know that one too. I think it's so important for facilitators to read that, particularly in COVID because the pandemic yeah. is profoundly traumatic in lots of different ways. Yeah. And just to understand what can we do, what can we not do? And for me, improv, there's a bit in it that says if we have that part of the brain that's like, just carry on, we're less aware of ourselves, we're less connected with what's going on with, with, within us, and we're leaking, we can leak all sorts of, the implications, we can leak all sorts of unhelpful behaviors because we're not self-aware. So part of improv is how can we notice and tune into what's happening for ourselves? How can we be present and connected and generous when we're afraid hmm. and that gives dignity to ourselves and to other people yeah Is that true? so i think that's really important and it's something that someone said to me years ago like when i started to do public speaking i, I mentioned you more i did toastmasters for a number of years in australia and it was an interesting experience but it was, it was by the most part very good but I remember someone saying to me, okay, when you get on that stage, your your body is going to have a reaction, irrespective of how you, you know, how well trained you are. And you need to change the dialogue, okay? Because you'd be like, oh my God, what if I forget all my words? What what happens if my uh, HDMI cable stops working? Which has happened. And they said, oh, we want you to change the dialogue. We want you to say, this is a really exciting opportunity. This is going to be so much fun. And I was looking at them kind of going, are you crazy? <laughs> I said, I'm standing side stage, whatever, like, you know, and there's maybe 800, 900 people out there. And I'm like, I need to start saying that. And they're like, do it. So I remember standing with my first kind of big conference was probably 2013. And I remember saying to myself, oh my God, I'm, I'm going to die on stage. I'm going <laughs> to die. And then I like looked at my notes. This is exciting. <laughs> this is a really fun thing. Yeah. You're going to have lots of fun. Yeah. And I could not believe that it worked. It, it was like I was almost tricking my brain and I was trying to change that internal dialogue. So that's, that might be one of the things that in improv you, you speak a little bit more around. But what are the kind of three things that you might recommend to the listeners who uh, have those kind of situations present themselves, could be on a day-to-day -day basis, if they're working in those organizations that may not get the value of design? And they may have these internal dialogues as in like what I just said before, like that's a stupid idea. How can they move closer using the, the things that you teach to get towards that mindset? What would you advise them? There's, there's a really lovely activity. One thing that just leaps to mind is, is get, with a, get with your team, brainstorm. What would be an awful meeting? Like how can we do a meeting but evil meeting? How can we make it much, much worse? <laughs> Because that's fun to do, and there will be glimmers of what really happens in that mm -hmm. list. Yeah. So just be play like you know, we could punch each other in the arm. But you know, like we could shout at each other. We could not listen to each other. Like all that's and just get it out on a on a piece of paper. And that's then, a nice one. And then the next brainstorm is 
So if that's evil, that's the brainstorm for evil, then do a, what would good look like? And not just the opposite. So not just we don't punch each other in the arm, but it's like, yeah. how do you create conditions so that the evil thing couldn't happen? So it's we respect each other's uh, boundaries and physical space, for example, might be how you create conditions to not have the evil thing happen. And so you have them brainstorm that. And then, and then the third piece, which a lot of design people, because we're rushed, don't go to, is what would make it amazing? Hmm. And really sit in that shift from good enough <laughs> to what would really make it extraordinary. And just going through that brainstorm with teams, and I've done that with cross-functional science teams. So I work uh, every summer for the past four years, I've worked with artificial intelligence or machine learning experts and earth scientists or space scientists, helping them to collaborate. So bringing improv mindset and practice. And, and we do that activity right up front of like, what would make an awful team? <laughs> what would make a good team? What would make a great team? So that in, in the weeks as they get into the hot and heavy of trying to push the science forward to help humanity, I can go, which, which column are you in, dears? <laughs> you know, like, which, <laughs> mm. let's work from there. So that's, that's one thing. Yeah. Well, what are the, like, I'm sure because you, you're working with lots of different types of organizations and skill sets in there. Well, what are the typical patterns that you're seeing on the negative side and then in the converse in, in the positive side? So, and also, is it possible? I mean, honestly, now, is it really possible to get to that nirvana state of like, this is brilliant? Because, you know, that conversation needs to be had. Like, is it something that's actually achievable? Because at the end of the day, we all have our own problems as human beings, and sometimes they're very hard to get around those things. Oh, very deep question. <laughs> deep, multifaceted question. Deep question for 11.03 on a Wednesday morning. Um, the negative stuff that I've seen, there can be toxic banter. Give me an example of what that means, because I can probably feed into that. <laughs> so there's a particularly... I lived in England for 15 years, and... What was yeah. interesting, I like humor, I teach compassionate humor. There is a thing, if Brits like you, they knock you down. <laughs> and Ireland as well, so, yeah. And what was overwhelming for me, I did an MBA in Cranfield in the UK, and there were first there were like 30 women to 100 guys, so we already felt slightly outnumbered. There was only me and one hmm. other American. And when you have 80 people doing that to you a day, it can get really overwhelming because you feel under attack instead of supported. Mm. So there's some that's a manifestation of negativity of you know what's the state you're leaving the person in? Are you leaving them hopeless? Are is it a thud that's that's happening energetically after the banter or even pushing the person down yeah. Like if you keep reinforcing how awful the workplace is in your exchanges, you're not actually making it better. You're just almost like embedding it in the state that it's in. So that would be a negative manifestation mm. of, of banter. And a positive thing is like, how can you be playful? How can you be thoughtful? How can you notice like that different things light up different people? So one person, if your office only goes to the pub to celebrate, but you have somebody who doesn't drink or something like that, it yeah. can get awkward. So how could you be thoughtful of how can we celebrate in different ways so that Different, you know, like everybody can be engaged. Even in design yeah. of workshops, I try to change the mode of the 
design at least every 20 minutes. So an auditory person, a visual person, a kinesthetic person, at some point they are catered for and and people mm. get to experience different modes than their natural preference just to remind them though, ah, okay, sometimes my, my teammate is much more kinesthetic than I am. So that might mean this when we work together. So, so that would be manifestations yeah. of just, I, I was listening to your podcast with Renatus and talking about like each person is different so that you, you can't do a Absolutely. cookie cutter thing. So just reminding people, because when we're stressed, we tend to default, we tend to think that everybody is exactly like us, especially when we're stressed. So just reminding people, actually, we're all different and let's tune in. Let's be on a treasure hunt for how each other is marvelous. One of the things that when we were speaking beforehand, we were talking about the veil and the mask. And it's something that for success for me in workshops, even online, is trying to help people remove the mask a little bit. And within organizations, sometimes people feel, and this is not an assumption, this is based on actual truth, feel they have to play the role of whatever department or whatever place they're from in order to get to that level of awareness and, and truthfulness, I guess. We need to disarm and we need to make them feel safe and we need, need to make sure that they're being listened to and heard. A lot of it's just a, you know, decent behavior, really, at the end of the day. And I guess, you know, what was from speaking with you, you use comedy as an intentional approach. So walk me through around how you have uncovered that. Have you always been a funny person? I, I, I mean, comedy and funny are two different things, but like, have you learned this? And if so, what are the skills that you have learned and applied them back into that workshop setting? Ooh, another big, big and lovely question. I'd like to tease apart first improv and comedy because they're not the, the improv and stand up are different. So the improv is, I learned from Keith Johnson, who's one of the granddaddies of performance improv. I went to his theater in Calgary that he set up to immerse myself in performance improv. And my interest has always been, how do we take those mindsets and apply it to business, to sustainability, to things? So, because it's so hmm. it doesn't have to be funny, but often we laugh because it's really joyful way of being. Mm -hmm. So that's the improv and the comedy. Am I allowed to swear on your podcast or best not? <laughs> Absolutely. The only thing is I, li I like to say just to warn people a little bit up front if you're going to do it. So if we're going to have an F-bomb, everyone. Maybe turn turn the camera down a bit. I'm you, you can curse. We, we, depending, I try to avoid the you know the okay, really yes. bad one. So I, I, I don't. I can, I can modify. Tried. So we're all building up to a curse here, everyone. So just let you know, there's a joke probably on the horizon, and and there's probably going to be a curse. I, I can modify it. I can very easily modify it. So so with stand up. So stand up. Stand up and improv share noticing about the system, noticing about ourselves, noticing about human nature. And comedy tries to tease out what's absurd about it and release that tension in some way. Mm. And the reason I brought on stand-up comedy in addition to the improv is because I, I noticed that my clients who were working in sustainability or, or social issues, that notice more was already honed and it was getting heavy. And they didn't have a practice to find the lightness, bring lightness to it in the way they communicated it, in the way they thought about it. And that's why I brought in the stand-up comedy. So stand-up, as it's usually performed, is like you craft every single word, you refine it, you hone it, and you make sure that every mm. word counts. And it's 
It's taking the audience where you want them to go. Improv is emergent, so you might get a great laugh out of it. It's not planned, though. So you're, it's like a happy yeah. coincidence. So take me back to your question, because sorry. <laughs> the, um... No, it's okay. So like, have you always been like a, 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 f- a funny person? Like, because obviously if you're doing stand-up comedy within the workshop setting, it's only stand-up comedy if people are laughing. <laughs> Otherwise, it's a death on stage. But have you always been a funny person or is it something that you've learned? And if so, what did you learn and how are you applying it to to the workshop settings? I grew up as a kid moving to lots of different places and cultures. So I started in the US and then I moved Mm. to Mexico and Canada. And so I was constantly confronted with new cultures, sometimes new languages, new people. So I had to find ways to connect quickly. And so I think that's why I naturally gravitated to improv. And there's also a thing of just noticing from the outside, which is really useful for stand-up. Kind of stepping, instead of being in it, being able to notice what the system's doing, what the people are doing. I love making people laugh. And that might be also just like, how do you connect quickly with a group of people? And I have some heroes of stand-up comedy, so I love like George Carlin and Bill Hicks and Rita Rudner and, you know, like all these different people. My sense now is that because people are so stressed, it's not the time for angry comedy. It had its place and I understand Mm -hmm. it. Right now we need to yeah. be loved. <laughs> That's so. So what I'm trying to do is bring a really loving form of stand-up comedy. And I was uh, gearing up for a swear, but I won't swear. I I got tired of of um, <laughs> in you know seeing new acts, and it's usually kind of. I saw a lot of young men get up there and say like, "I hate myself. I hate you. I want to shag you. Good night." And they'd leave, and it'd yeah. be like, "What was that?" It'd like like because comedians yeah. have the permission to tell the truth about what's happening in society. So I wanted to give people who are working, who care about making the world a better place in some way. So I work with climate scientists, but I also work with service designers and with like normal people who have an insight on parenting of how do I talk, think about this stuff and talk about this stuff in a way that shows what's silly about our systems or our structures and takes us somewhere delightful. Yeah, it must be very, you must go into an area that feels unsafe as a practitioner i guess when you're hovering around those topics because they could be seen as quite triggering i mean if you're talking about toxicity and you're working in those organizations and there is no doubt going to be areas there where people are are, are suffering and to use comedy may come across as being quite it, it could be trivializing something that was quite serious so how can you handle that? I mean, I'm, I'm thinking in scenarios where I've worked in organizations and I've facilitated in those organizations and you can just sense the the people in the room and someone arrives in and, you know, if it was a flower, the flower would wilt, if you know what I mean, in terms of the energy in the room. And like to come back around, it, it takes a very, very strong somebody who's very strong in emotional intelligence to be able to pick up on those vibes and to to handle those topics quite sensitively. So how do you approach those things? I teach a lot of public courses. So they they know mm-hmm. they're coming in and I hold I just hold it with as much love as I can. When I'm in when I take the course into companies, 
it's interesting. Sometimes it's it's taken in under a Trojan horse. So it's this is better presentation skills, better communication skills. And what they're what's actually on the inside of the horse is I finally get to talk about ethics. I, I worked with a, a service design company and they brought me in as they had said six of their advisory board to my public course. <laughs> so I had like two yeah. outsiders and them and we had a great show. And then they brought me in to work with their Munich office. And it was sold to internally as this is a communication course, but actually it allowed them to speak about ethics that they weren't able to talk about in any other way. And it allowed yeah. them to do it in a loving fashion. I worked with, there was a way that the course had a really interesting impact on culture for a very bureaucratic German development organization. So I worked with eight of their leaders and then 250 of their colleagues came to the sh internal show. And what was so interesting mm. was, you know, clearly the leaders that came onto the course were already geared that way, creativity, playfulness. They understood the value of improv and they wanted to see what this compassionate comedy aspect would do for them. In the show, I hosted the show and I said, look, all of our jobs is to fill this room with as much love, light and laughter as we possibly can. That's our job. And if you like anything remotely that they say on stage, your job is to laugh out loud. <laughs> Don't just think it to yourself, oh, that yeah. was quite witty. Laugh. And you can clap if you want to. And what happened was it was such a euphoric show. And I heard that somebody came in late and sat down next to a guy and they, and they said, why are we being so supportive? <laughs> in the audience. And the guy said, well, Belina told us we have to be. But what, what the show ended up being is such a powerful, positive feeling it ended in a standing ovation of the 250 and they said for weeks later ah. there was such a different buzz in the cafeteria that people got it that if you're going to tell people you have to be vulnerable and brave and creative it's your job as a colleague to support that and not to destroy it to to, to help perpetuate yeah, exactly. that and to encourage it as much as possible like you know and that's something that i know Speaking of Mark, like, and, and this is doing, we're, we're talking about the life after the workshop, the bit that comes after it's that, that, that burn, it can't be seen as a light, a light bulb that just goes boom, and then it's gone. It's like, we need to become better ways at extending that into the culture. So over time, it becomes sort of part of how we do things, but it's how you encourage those behaviors to, to maintain it. Is, is the kind of the secret sauce, so to speak. It's And how you frame that is, is really nice. So I, I could see how that could actually work kind of like a dovetail, which would be really nice. Like, you know, Belina, we're actually coming towards the end of, of the episode. And I, I could speak to you. I could speak to you for hours. And I mean, we probably have spoken for hours. But if people want to find out more around Belina, Rafi and your courses and your work, maybe give it a shout out, like how they can do that. I actually have two sustainable stand-up shows coming up, one this Friday, one next Friday. I'm on Facebook on sustainable stand-up. I have a sustainablestandup.com website. Mafic.com is also uh, my main company website. And I get to do a 15-minute thing with you guys in your upcoming uh, uh, I know, conference. Yeah. And I'm so excited about that. Absolutely. So Belina is going to be at the Doing Design Festival, folks. We're, we're still kind of sort of teasing out what we're going to do, but there's there's Benny is going to make an appearance and, and hopefully lighten up some of the day for us. 
So that'll be something to look forward to. But I'll throw links to all of those into the show notes, Polina. But again, I want to thank you for your time. It's always great to hear from people like yourselves who do extraordinary work. So thanks for giving me the time this morning. I really appreciated it. Thank you. So there you have it. That's all for this episode of Bringing Design Closer. If you like this episode, feel free to visit thisishcd.com where you can access our back catalogue of over 100 episodes with episodes related to service design, product management, design research, and much, much more. If you're interested in design and innovation training, feel free to check out our business, thisisdoing.com, where you can join online classrooms and learn from the world's best design and innovation leaders. Join the This Is HCD newsletter where you'll receive updates from the network. And also, if you're interested, apply to join the Slack community on thisishcd.com. Stay safe and until next time, take care.